0: What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Met City Soccer Show. I am your host, David Gussler, and I am here with my good partner in crime, Mister Vice President of Met City Collective, now uh, Matt Swift. Matt, it's been like I don't know before Thanksgiving, something like that. but We've actually done one of these, so um, yeah, you've traveled the world. I know you. You traveled <laughs> the world. You you become a vice president now, all of a sudden. So how, how's how's things going? It's
1: been a wild ride, um, yeah. So I should probably start off this episode saying sorry to a lot of people because we were going to do all these World Cup episodes, and then the week of Thanksgiving, everything kind of came off the rails. Uh, I couldn't get anything like coordinated with anybody, uh, and plus we had a short week because Thanksgiving, and then yeah, the next week I went to Europe, <clears throat> and then the following week I had COVID. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, sorry about that, guys.
0: I have to say, Matt, like I got so many questions at the Mint City Gala. Like, man, when are you guys going to do a show again? Weren't y'all supposed to do stuff for like the World Cup or something like that? I was like, it's like, yeah, Matt just had this random Euro trip come out of nowhere. And here we are now. Right. So, no, it's I'm glad I'm glad to have you back. I'm glad you're feeling better. Well, well, I'm sure we'll introduce you as VP here in a little bit. But um, I will be remiss if I don't introduce our other partner in crime friend of the show, Von Pullman. So, Vaughn, welcome. Welcome
2: back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, guys. I'm pumped to be back behind the mic and getting to look at everything going on in the offseason because there's a lot happening. This is a this is a good time. Uh, most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> it's It's been
0: a busy news day so far for Charlotte FC and uh, MLS. So I'm sure we'll dive into that. But I think, uh, Matt, I think we at least should do our fans a little bit of service here and at least talk the World Cup a little bit since we uh, Did not get a chance to dive into it how I wish, but um, unless you were living under a rock and didn't pay attention to anything for the past three weeks, um, let's let's dive into what was the World Cup final against Argentina and France. So, um, Matt, I guess I'll ask you first, like, was that was that the finalist that you thought was actually going to make the final for World Cup or what?
1: No, I don't. I thought Brazil would be in the final. But, uh, man, I'm glad these two teams did get to the final because it seriously might be the best final I've ever, I've ever seen, uh, an insane game, um, at the beginning, not so much. Uh, I I think Argentina just played France off the field, but what came after France equalized is just the most insane shit I've ever seen in my life. Um. I'm so glad I watched it. I'm um, so glad I got to see some history. I'm um, so glad I got to see Messi prevail because it looked like Mbappe was like, oh, hell no, not today. I'm going to ruin your party. But uh, just an unbelievable final. Um, what did you What did you guys think of the game?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was so memorable. I think we're going to carry that game with us for a really long time. Um just the heavyweights of uh, Messi and Mbappe, and getting to see Messi, like you said, prevail and uh, the, the the goat going out on top, uh, I think was uh, really really special to see, and uh, it was a nice way for us to wrap and, and put a bow on the tournament.
0: Yeah, I um I know when I was watching it, you know, watching the first half, kind of what you were saying, Swift, it wasn't really uh, amazing in the first half. I actually mm-hmm. thought I was like. You know what? I could probably turn this off at halftime and, um, and just be like, you know what? I'm gonna go across, the, you know, go with the rest of my day. Uh, I was recovering from the gala, and I was like, you know what? I can just, just you know, recover a little bit of time. And I started doing some chores, and the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, this is getting super interesting all of a sudden. And it, uh, you know, all of a sudden France ties it, makes it two to two, and it just gets more and more intense from that point of view. So I'm really happy I got to witness it as well. I don't think I will see a World Cup final like that. Anytime soon. Um, the fact that you saw a game go into extra time, you had goals in extra time, tied again in extra time, and then it went to PKs, um, is something that you typically don't see in soccer too often, but then not at the World Cup final level either.
1: Yeah. I mean, you had kind of like this <coughs> old guard versus new guard with Messi and Mbappe. Uh, so that was kind of a, a interesting di- dynamic and, um, uh, But yeah, I think as far as storylines go, I mean, what better way than to have the greatest player of all time finally win a World Cup? So it was just great to see. Uh, It was a strange World Cup. Um, I'm kind of glad it's done so we can now focus on uh, the next cycle. But um, but yeah, it was uh, good stuff.
0: So I I have one question. um, and. Vaughn, I'll let you answer this because I know you're such a huge fan. Actually, I have no idea if you are or not. But there was one picture that came out today um, of Salt Bay uh, being able to, to hold the World Cup a trophy and give it, you know, a hug and a kiss and have it there with Argentina. So are you one of those fans that say, you know, that's a it's a purist, only like winners and champions should touch the trophy? Or or are you like, yeah, you know what? He sprinkles salt on meat. It's totally fine.
2: Uh, he had no business being there. It was pure clout chasing it was so stupid i hated that the players had to even deal with that like you have to think about what they put into their entire careers to get to that moment (laughs) to get to the precipice of the of the sport and then they've got this clown just getting all up in their business i i hated it awful yeah
0: i think that encompasses the world cup perfectly honestly if you just take that one thing right there and you're like you know what everything that was wrong with this world cup is just in that one moment right there. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll chalk yeah. it up to just corrupt FIFA, but you know, it is what it is.
1: Well, so. the, the president was showing him around to all these dignitaries and introducing him to all, all these folks. And then of course he gets on the field and gets to do that. It was very bizarre. Like what, like you do that and like you get to touch the world. Like what the hell is that?
0: I don't know. It's very, Matt, I expect you to do that. And for those, so if, Obviously, we're a podcast show, and I just realized we're doing a, a visual <laughs> cue. But the, you know, lifting the hand up and sprinkling salt motion in your hands. If you don't know who it is, just Google him. Um, but Matt, I expect you to do that on the sidelines in several FC games next year, so that way you can get on the <laughs> get get on the field and do it, uh, and be able to hold the supporter shield with that too. So, I'll
1: will see what I can do.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, with with the World Cup, I mean the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, how do you top World Cup? And I think the best way that you can now transition from World Cup talk is MLS schedule talk. So for those who are aware, um, you know, it's it's MLS schedule day. So the 2023 schedule for MLS came out, uh, Charlotte FC, which you know, we're all supporters of. We were eagerly anticipating and and counting down the days to see what this was going to be. And um, Matt, I've got some days circled on my calendar, but. Let's dive into some, some you know schedule talk. I know Vaughn, you've got some notes, but Swift, what do you think about the schedule coming up first? And what are some games that are kind of like you know must haves for you?
1: Yeah, i i was I was interested more in like kind of like the away day games. Um, you know, I was talking to my wife, and we're already you know we were kind of thinking like, okay, depending on who we play away, let's let's plan some you know longer extended weekends. Um, and we we have a couple that are earmarked already i I think of course the the close ones like Atlanta, Nashville are you know of course gonna do those, but I think I may have talked Jillian into going to Montreal oh. um we've never I've actually never been to Canada, and yeah Montreal, so that that could be one that's on our list. Uh, we kicked around some other other options, but uh, I, I think that's the one that was a little the most intriguing, I guess. So, um, you know, we, I did Cincinnati last year. Don't really want to do that again.
0: Um, you mean you mean Skyline Chili's not the top of the list of things to go see again?
1: No, and uh, you know, remember I did ride up there in a car. <laughs> that night and ride back the same night. So maybe, maybe that's why I don't want to do it again. But, uh, oh, and also, uh, Chicago away too. I think we might do that this year. We have some friends that are in Chicago and we might make a, like I said, a longer, longer stay out of it. What about you guys?
0: I I know Swift, you were, you were talking about it from just from the fan perspective. Right. And I think I'm kind of looking at it selfishly the same way. Um, I personally speaking, I'm kind of like meh with new England being the, the homeowner or home opener. Um, I I just don't see that being something that just moves the needle from a, you know, star power perspective, unless New England just signs somebody out of nowhere and um, bring some folks on. But, um, I mean, I'm going to be excited about, you know, nonetheless. But um, some games I had circled, I mean, for those who aren't following in Slack, I mean, I I have a pretty big rivalry, I guess, with some St. Louis fans, I guess. So I I definitely have St. Louis City circled that I would love to go see uh, if we can make that happen. Um, I know me and Laura were talking about it. Her birthday is always the start of MLS season so far. So trying to figure out a way to celebrate her birthday and also include soccer at the same time, but we'll see how that works out for me. But um, St. Louis, Chicago is definitely something I've circled as well. Um, I know Miami is something that I've, I want to see just because of the rumored signing of potentially Messi with uh, inner Miami. So Miami coming to Charlotte or even Miami away would be something that'd be Super fun to see, especially a player of that caliber in MLS. So um, from the fan perspective, St. Louis and Chicago is on my list. But from the soccer and just current rosters, I would definitely like to see Miami if if the messy signing happens. But Vaughn, I know you've got copious notes. So what's uh, what were some things and like, you know, excitement for you from the schedule release?
2: I mean, as for like the away games, I'd love to make it to Nashville. I think to get to see Geodice Park would be really cool. I think that the opportunity for there to be a rivalry with Nashville is greater now that they're joining us in the East. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. Um, But what was really exciting for me was how much schedule consistency there is now. Um, A whole bunch of games are reliably at 730 on Saturdays. The majority of games are on Saturdays. There are like just a handful of games uh, that aren't. Uh, We've got four Wednesday home games and that's it. Um, So I'm excited about having that for the entire league, not only for uh, Charlotte FC. Um, In in terms of the schedule, I think it's pretty well balanced. Um, I think our toughest stretch that I wanted to talk about um, is between May 12th and June 3rd, um, we've got a stretch there uh, where in eight days we fly out to L.A., play the Galaxy, fly 2,700 miles to play Philly four days later, and then fly to Columbus for our third game in eight days. And those two games against both Philly and Columbus, I think are going to be pretty critical conference uh, matchups. Uh, and and then with that brutal road stretch, that's bookended by games uh, at home. Uh, against uh, Nashville and Seattle. So that is going to be a really important stretch of our season. Um, and, and the other thing that stood out to me uh, was that we have one really, really big home gap uh, that is actually a seven-week gap uh, where we don't have a regular season home game between July 8th and August 26th. Um, we've got Leagues Cup. That's the reason that the league is pausing at that point. The Leagues Cup is going to be going on from July 21st to August 19th. So we'll likely have uh, a Liga MX team, maybe another MLS team that that comes and visits Charlotte. Uh, but the the actual regular season games that, that are important towards the playoffs and all of that, there is a seven-week gap that's happening uh, all the way from July through August. What
0: do you think about MLS's approach, Vaughn, with this new Leagues Cup? Because not only do you now have, you know, I mean, you've seen it. Charlotte's got preseason in California now with this, you know, different style tournament for preseason California. You've got the MLS regular season. You've got the U.S. Open Cup now that's going to be woven in somewhere in between all of this that doesn't really share yet. And then you also have the Leagues Cup within that time frame. Is it is it too much soccer, you think, in that kind of condensed time frame? Because U.S. Open Cup's going to be around the same time as the Leagues Cup, correct?
2: Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think MLS is trying to find ways to add to the game slate. Uh, to get more opportunities for teams to uh, you know push their depth and and to get more games happening right like they aren't on the same schedule as the rest of the world and we don't play uh, you know 10, 11 months out of the year. So I think that the League's Cup is one step in trying to first of co- of course monetize things uh, and and leverage their relationship with Liga MX uh, but it's a way to guarantee games, Uh, for these teams and and add to the strategy right like we're going to actually pause the season we're going to give you an opportunity to do a world cup format style tournament Um, and there's also rumors that that's what they're going to be doing with the mls cup playoffs as well Uh, so i think that they're trying to play off the back end of this world cup that hey people really like that format can we do the same thing use that as a way to get more games Use that as a way to leverage things like the, in the Apple TV deal, right, is by having more games, you've got more things you can sell, more advertising, more marketing, more tickets, more merchandising, all of those sorts of things. Um, so I think it's a way for the league to try and grow and and create some additional revenue streams while also uh, upping their game slates to match closer to the rest of the world. So, yeah, Von, I know you were just talking about TV deals and advertisements and a different process this year and, and not to
0: sidetrack us too much with the schedule talk, but um, I was actually just scrolling through the MLS website right now and seeing on the schedule, um, you know, usually they list like ESPN, Fox Sports, whatever it is for the, all the TV um, channels. But this year you see a MLS season pass, MLS season pass, MLS season pass for every single Charlotte FC game, except for one, which is Atlanta, uh, which is going to be the national broadcast game um, for Fox. So. Um, it's a little bit different process this year and it's not surprising that um you know mls is trying something new with their television deal so like for Vaughn, for those who aren't aware can you touch on that a little bit what's gonna be different this year for 2023
2: yeah i mean the big thing is that the tv deals aren't going to be done through local broadcast it's all going to be centralized by the league and apple um so you know one of the things i love i love the espn plus model where i could go and find a whole bunch of the games get all of the replays, and be able to watch pretty much every game. And even if there was a game that was blacked out, throw on a VPN, jump in there, you're going to watch the game that you want to watch. Um, but but now it uh, everything's going to be through Apple. Um, and I think what's going to be confusing for people, at first at least, is understanding, okay, is this part of Apple TV? Is this a separate Apple TV package? It is, as far as I understand it, um, a separate, like, Channel within Apple TV. So you don't have to be like an Apple TV subscriber. Uh, you can subscribe to just Apple TV MLS and get the games um, and have access to pretty much everything uh, and, and replays of all of the games. Uh, but there's going to be certain games, like you mentioned, the ones that are on Fox uh, that are going to be the national broadcast that are on linear uh, TV presentation. Um, so I, I think it's going to be an adjustment period. Uh, it, it's definitely a new age and a new model for a, a professional league to go about it. Uh, but yeah, I think we're going to quickly adapt to it and, and know, hey, just go to Apple TV and you're going to have it. And and for all season ticket holders, so you're going to have free access anyways.
0: Yeah, I know as a as a season ticket member, I'm going to get a benefit out of it where I now get that package included in my season tickets, which is nice for those away games, especially living in South Carolina now, um, I don't have to worry about games being blacked out or not being able to watch it. So um, for me, it's a benefit, but for those locally in Charlotte, they may not see a difference other than just the presentation being a little bit different. But I, you know, credit to Charlotte FC last year, they, they had a pretty good presentation, even though it was on local television, the quality was actually pretty good. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to it. So I know both of y'all kind of circled some away games and some things there. Um, Is there anything that's a little bit different this year, too? So I know um, like St. Louis, for example, is going to be joining um, MLS this year, which is a little bit different. But, um, you know, they actually have three home games against uh, Sporting KC versus just having 2 I'm sorry, they have three games against them versus just having two because of the West Western Conference being aligned a little bit differently. Right. So is there anything else that you want to kind of dive into on the schedule that was a, um, you know, a different process this year for both of you guys?
2: I mean, I'll add that uh, there are no like afternoon games it uh, through summer, so it's going to be a lot nicer out there. <laughs> We're not going to have to worry about being sitting out there in 100 degree heat and cooling down with beer showers. We can just do that at night. So <laughs>
0: That's definitely nice to have to have, you know, potentially less lightning delays within the, within the Bank of America Stadium. I know that's a lot of that was a hot topic issue last summer within that space, too. But hey, now we may see that with the leaked cup instead be having lightning delays. So we'll see what that looks like. All right. So after the schedule release this week, MLS has another busy uh, thing coming up here this week. And so, Matt, we've got the MLS Super Draft coming up. And not to get this confused with the MLS Expansion Draft that you had a pretty big part in for Charlotte FC history, um, but you've got the Super Draft, which uh, is a little bit different. And for fans who aren't aware, Uh, Matt, would love for you to kind of share what that is and how is Charlotte FC going to approach this into 2023?
1: Hmm. Are you talking about the MLS Super Draft 2023 presented by Adidas?
0: Yes, you are. (laughs) With Adidas generational talent. You
1: have to say presented by Adidas when you're saying the MLS Super Draft. Uh, It is scheduled for Wednesday at 5 p.m. So hopefully this episode will come out before you watch the draft. But uh, Charlotte FC. Of course, last season took Ben Bender as their first pick. Uh, and you may be wondering what picks we have this year. We have picks number 20, number 40, and 69. Um, so I know... Nice. 69. Um, So I know... Uh, I saw Vaughn tweeting um, a possible scenario... And I'd like to talk about that scenario, if all you know, if if he will allow it. Um, I believe you were thinking maybe there is a. I believe it's uh, shockingly another Clemson alum. I believe Joey Skinner is who you were talking about, Vaughn earlier.
2: Yeah. So uh, there are eleven generation Adidas players in this draft. Um, last year's draft had eight, so eleven. I fairly positive as a record. Um, So, like, when we selected Ben Bender, he was Generation Adidas. Um, And what that means is basically that contract is subsidized by the league and by Adidas. um, And that player basically doesn't count against the salary cap for the first three years uh, of their contract. So, a really big benefit uh, in selecting those types of guys. And so, there are actually five of the Generation Adidas players that have Carolina ties Um, but Joey Skinner was the one that stood out to me with him being a left back, uh, which is a position of need. Um, he is coming out of Clemson. He played at UNCG. He's from Charlotte. He, uh, went to high school in Concord. Uh, there's a lot that just makes a lot of sense there. Uh, he was part of the Charlotte independent soccer club, previously Carolina Rapids, uh, as far as developmentally, uh, locally. So, uh, yeah, I could totally see. Uh, Joey Skinner being somebody that we could go after uh, but with us picking 20th uh, it's not very likely that those Generation Adidas players will be available that deep in the draft so I could see Charlotte being active if, if they do see one of those Generation Adidas guys that have the Carolina ties that they want to try and bring in um, I could see Charlotte being aggressive and trying to move up in the draft um, because you can trade that 20th draft pick uh, maybe like I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars of GAM, um, and, and there you can move up several spots and pick the guy you you need. Um, whereas if you stay at the twentieth, you're you're it's a little bit of a bigger stretch to try and find that uh, good fit and and potentially a guy that you have to budget for a little bit differently than a generation Adidas player.
0: Well, hey, Vaughn, what's um what's the benefit of a generational Adidas player? So for those who aren't aware, like. Why is that something that's special? And why do, why do teams want to get those type of players versus just drafting a random player from said college?
2: So a Generation Adidas player is part of your supplemental uh, roster spots. So basically your the salary cap, the salary budget, um, is only applied to the, to the salaries of the first 20 guys on the roster. There's like 10 other slots that players can fill in. Um, and so a Generation Adidas player automatically goes onto the supplemental roster. Uh, so that will not count against the salary cap. And his salary is subsidized. That You literally have dollars coming from the league and from Adidas uh, to cover that salary. <laughs> it, 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 they literally already have their contracts with the league. That's why they're generation Adidas. They are already professionally signed contract players. Whereas like when we signed Kyle Holcomb last year in the second round, um When we signed him, he's not under contract. You have to come to terms with that player. Um, And and yeah, he may end up also in that supplemental roster where he doesn't count against the salary cap, but you have to come to terms with him. Um, So the benefit of selecting a Generation Adidas guy is, you know, he's going to be on the roster. You know, he's going to be there long term, that that salary expense is subsidized, uh, isn't going to count against your salary cap. You can take a flyer on that guy and try to develop him. Um, and also, if they are signing that generation Adidas uh, contract, they've already been identified by the league as players that they profile as being more elite and MLS ready.
1: Vaughn, let me let me ask you this too, though. Let's let's talk through this a little bit. So, say I, I'm trying to like just work this through of like why we would want to sign Joey Skinner. So, we're talking about we we have a need at left back. We have Joseph Mora who we all, you know, I think we can all agree is probably not who we would want to start anymore going forward. Uh we have Adam Armor who unfortunately got injured. Um so he's coming back from injury. I you know and I think it's safe to say that you know he's not a lock to start at left back by any stretch. So why would we sign or why do you think we should sign Joey who I think he's a sophomore. Um, you know, he's six I think one hundred and fifty five pounds, but doesn't have that experience. He's not a Nathan Byrne. So, do you think yeah. it's worth taking a risk on on, on this guy?
2: Um, so here's here's my thing. First of all, I think by based off of our roster needs, I think we're going to need depth at center back, and we're going to need uh, depth at, at left back for. The reasons you've mentioned right like adam armor coming off of his acl reconstruction um you're not going to want that guy starting 25 games like you just mm-hmm. aren't <laughs> like like 1500 to 2000 minutes is probably as far as you're going to want to push him um could you balance that between him and mora yeah but what happens if one of them gets hurt uh or if you want to have the flexibility to to trade a guy uh or, or any other number of things we're going to want another left back on this roster um, so I think left back is a position that also the club has talked about being a position of emphasis. Um, and I think that in a super draft, you can draft uh, outside backs that can be successful in MLS right out of the gates uh, versus a center back. It might have to take a little bit more developmental time. Uh, they may have to fill out in their bodies or, or, or whatever. They, they have a little bit of a different adjustment to the league. Um, so I, I think uh, in my opinion, we're going to target center back and left back. Uh, for, for some of those obvious reasons, um, you could end up having a midfielder. But I think that if you're still at the 20th pick, that's going to be a stretch. Um, and, and so uh, just taking a look at the Generation Adidas guys, the guys that have local ties, um, you know, the the other four uh, that we didn't mention uh, are Shaq Muhammad. Shaq Muhammad is coming out of Duke. Um, he's most likely going to be uh, a top two or three pick. Like, like he's going to be one of the first guys off the board. Um, there's a winger. Uh, Owen O'Malley, he's uh, out of Creighton, but he's from Kerry and he uh, was in the NCFC Academy. Um, but I, same thing, I, a winger right now, I don't think he would find minutes on, on this roster anytime soon. Uh, so I don't think you go that route. Uh, you, and then you can have some center backs. Uh, you know, there's Clemson, Senegalese, center back, Hamidi Diop, but he's Senegalese. You're going to have to use an international spot. I don't think we go that route. And same situation for JC and Gondo. Uh, who's uh, a Generation Adidas player out of UNC Greensboro, um, because he's also a French international. Um, So I just think we steer clear of that direction. So of the five that have local ties that are Generation Adidas that I could see us having an interest in, I think left back and Joey Skinner, a guy from Charlotte, from Clemson, has those ties to the Charlotte Independent Soccer Club. People are going to know his character. They're going to understand his work ethic, all of those sorts of things. Uh, A lot of it makes sense that if if they're targeting a left back, that's going to be a good way to go.
1: Oh no that, that that makes that makes total sense. and we all know that Sh- Charlotte of C love them, some Clemson uh, alum. So uh, I guess we'll find out tomorrow at five pm
2: now i I do want to mention if we don't go like I want to throw another name out there that's not generation Adidas that's not left back and all of that just to throw it out there and and put it on people's radars. I really like uh, Andreas Uland. Um, He's a Norwegian-American out of Virginia. Big, big dude. Six foot five. Uh, He's been capped with the Norway youth national teams. um, And he actually was voted the 2017 best player of the season uh, in the Norwegian second division. Um, And he was a defensive partner at Virginia with Henry Kessler. uh, And was arguably, by scouts, uh, the the better player uh, between him and Henry Kessler. And Kessler's looked very good in New England. Um, So if he falls to that 18 to 20 range, I would love if we went after Andreas Uland. Um, And and one other player I just want to mention, because of the local ties, uh, is probably the best goalkeeper in the draft is Holden Trent. Uh, He's a Greensboro native who went to college at High Point. Um, So that's another guy with local ties. I don't think we're going to go goalkeeper, but it's still of interest and, and another name to keep an, an eye on for the future because he is arguably the best goalkeeper coming out of the draft and he has those Carolina ties.
0: So, fun. I have a quick question before we, we shift from the draft talk. But, um, you know, Charlotte FC took a little bit of a different approach last year with the expansion draft and then the super draft, kind of filling the roster out of almost necessity um, versus, you know, depth or you know, future, right? Um, I feel like Charlotte's in a little bit of a better place outside of, like you said, left back or center back. Um, Should MLS teams view this super draft or should the fans really expect to get players that are starting caliber um, in year one or even year two out of these kind of selections? Or is this more of a tool to help with the depth and the future build of rosters uh, for teams like Charlotte?
2: It's a mix and it's going to depend on team philosophies, right? Like Philadelphia still hasn't selected a player in the super draft since 2018. So they're they're going on four straight years of of not selecting a player. Uh but but in this draft what's a little bit different is all of these teams have MLS next pro sides. Uh you know I mentioned Kyle Holcomb earlier. We signed or we, we drafted Kyle Holcomb in the second round, had him in the MLS side preseason training and did not come to terms on a contract and and it was literally a draft and dump. Uh, I don't think that happens anymore. I think you are trying to fill out your MLS Next Pro side as well. So these teams where I was talking about the roster being, uh, you know, about 30 players deep. No, now you're going to be looking at trying to have rosters uh, and and players that are employed by Charlotte FC uh, and are part of the depth chart 50 to 60 players deep. So you may take a look at a guy and you may take a flyer on a guy. Uh, based off of your system and style, you're not necessarily even looking at your depth chart for your MLS pro, uh, your MLS side. You're looking at your MLS Next Pro side and saying, OK, if I take this guy and his skill set, can I put him into our system and our style and let him grow and develop with MLS Next Pro? And if he's successful, maybe I take a flyer on a young kid and and work his way up or, or Quinn McNeil, right? Quinn McNeil was an undrafted player and, and he got spot starts. There's still talent in, in the draft even late on. I mean, uh, there's a pick 81 from last year, Jasper Lofelson, made 30 appearances and, and has a $1 million market value now uh, for, for RSL. So there, there are diamonds in the rough, uh, first of all, uh, but I think also the approach to the super draft for teams is going to be different with the MLS Next Pro uh, implication of you're going to want to keep these guys and, and build them into your system.
0: And you, you just touched on it, I know we'll probably say this for another episode with Swift, with the MLS Next Pro, but um, you, you kind of answered that there next, is that now you have that, that wrinkle into it as well, and now you can potentially get a player signed and then kind of, I don't want to say stash them on the, that roster, but be able to develop them and not have to worry about them making that final roster or loaning them out or cutting them and hoping they don't sign somewhere else, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, it'll be interesting to see the approach that Charlotte takes heading into year two with this, especially with MLS Next um, Pro coming out in the in the, in the uh, future. So, um, any other notes, Fawn, from your your draft before we we transition a little bit into more Charlotte FC talk?
2: No, I I, th- I think that the draft is always exciting. Um, I th- I think that uh, there's value to be had uh, still in the draft, uh, especially at pick 20. But I, I like I said, I I kind of think we could move up, um, and, and if that's the case uh anything could happen awesome so thanks for kind of breaking that down vaughn
0: and it'll be interesting to see if uh some of those predictions that you just shared come to life tomorrow so i'll be sure to quote tweet you and and celebrate your 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 picks here if any of those come to life so um so let's talk about you know future building and i guess continue roster building with, with charlotte c so matt there was uh, some recent rumors i think it's now officially been like a verbal Commitment or a verbal offer has been agreed. I don't know if they've signed pen to paper yet. There's visa stuff coming on. Who knows, right? Yeah. Um, but Matt, what's what's been the rumor or the the quote unquote, I guess, announcement for Charlotte F. C, which is a pretty big deal heading into next year?
1: Yeah. So it it looks like Charlotte FC have reached a at least a verbal agreement with uh with racing club to acquire Enzo Capetti. Uh, there's been rumors. There's been speculations. There's been Uh, Maybe talks of our coach flying down to see him. Um, Enzo was also hurt, so it kind of reminds me, or he got hurt, which kind of gave me deja vu of Camille Jozwiak. Um, But it looks like this is going to go through. Um, I think Capetti is going to be turning 27 next month or coming up pretty soon. Um, he scored 21 goals in 40 uh 47 games across all competitions in 2022. Um, but I I would love to get Vaughn's thoughts on him, um, and kind of want to talk through where we think he's going to fit when it comes to Swiderski. So Vaughn, what are what are your thoughts on Enzo? What are what are some of the rumblings that you've heard?
2: Well, first of all, I was all ready to go in on David, thinking he was going to miss pronounced rossing club uh but but no matt, matt went in with the nascar <laughs> racing club uh race nascar very, boy right racing racing club so uh, so just so the
0: fans know i intentionally kicked this question to swift so that way i would not be put in that situation on so
2: thanks for giving my secret <laughs> I've,
1: away I've, I've always called it racing club
2: well i, I am believe I wrong? it's ross am i wrong
1: club. am i wrong yeah
2: yeah we'll, we'll, we'll have to have jaime uh, let us know um Oh, he will definitely, he will definitely let me know. (laughs) Um, But Capetti, man, uh, I have watched a good bit of film on Enzo Capetti, and I am pretty pumped. uh, And I think fans need to start getting pumped, too. Um, I believe that his skill set is going to transition and translate to MLS really well. Um, He is a physical uh, Energizer bunny, bull in a China shop, uh type of player. I mean, he is going to endear himself to fans uh with his style of play. It's going to look very different from the way Swiderski played the number 9. He he is a totally different kind of player. Um he he's different than what we saw from Daniel Rios too in terms of like hold up play. Like he's he's not a hold up play kind of player. Um how how do I describe Enzo Capetti? Uh he has this energy about him um, and this like quick sprint burst attack, both d- in defensive uh, approach, right? So his pressing of, of defenders uh, he's, he's very aggressive and, and sprints right at guys um, in transition. You just hit the ball into space. If there's a 50, 50 uh, a a one V one situation, he's going to win that foot race every single time. Um, For for people that have watched a lot of MLS, the way I like to kind of describe him is like if you took Dom Dwyer, uh, but like Dom Dwyer at his prime and staying on his feet the whole time, uh, Dom Dwyer, Joseph Martinez, and uh, um, Jordan Morris. Like if you match those three players together, that's Enzo Capetti. Um, He is not afraid of contact. Um, He is going to be able to handle... Uh, center backs in this league, I think, very well. Um, and so, how he works with Swiderski, right? He's going to allow Swiderski to have that like receded role, and, and Swiderski can use his technical skill and ability um, to to open up space. But I think for the entire team, what what's going to be great about Capetti is, you know, we saw the effectiveness and the way that we stretched the field when Mackenzie Gaines was on the field, right? Where it's quickly switch the ball, hit it into space, let him run at that space and win a foot race and, and get transitions going. Capetti is going to be a second weapon in, in doing that exact same tactic, um, that whether gains is, or isn't on the field. Um, and, and, Capetti also, uh, in the box is going to be our greatest weapon in terms of being able to get his head on the ball. Um, you know, there, there's some concerns about him being a late bloomer and is he going to be able to score 20 goals in MLS? I think he can get 20 goal contributions. I think that's a better way to describe it. Um, but yeah, I I I hope you can hear my excitement. Um, Enzo Capetti is going to be a really, really fun player for us. Um, and, and I think he's going to quit. He's not going to have a long transition into this league um, just off of his style of play. So now if you have
0: Enzo coming in, um, you know, the team was experimenting with Carroll kind of being that, that attacking mid. Um, into the you know, end of the season last year what does that mean with now carol and enzo potentially linking up now Do you think the team kind of goes back to that 4-4-2 do you think they stick um with a four three three? like what do you think they're going to do now tactically with with this type of player that's a lot more physical be able to get their head on the ball and have a player like carol be able to feed to him and create create something out of nothing with him up top
2: i think the majority of the time we're going to be in a four two three one. I think what we were seeing in that in that final stretch of games, uh, you know, those final five, uh, I'm expecting us to primarily be in a four, two, three, one, uh, with Enzo Capetti as the number nine and uh, Carol Swodersky playing as that second striker, uh, or it's not really a number 10. Like like it is a number 10, but it's not like a traditional playmaking number 10. Um I, I guess maybe that's the other thing I didn't note on Capetti is he's he's not like really technical. Like like you don't get to see him doing a lot of technical play because he is so give and go like his um, what stood out to me in watching him was how quickly he wants to touch the ball release the ball like he's hungry he's hungry to touch the ball but immediately get rid of it and run into space so his anticipation defensively and offensively is going to be MLS elite in my opinion Um, and, and so like that goal we saw from Carol Swiderski at the end of the year where uh, it was against Chicago, the the extra time uh, winner, right? Where Swiderski on the ball for three, four seconds, makes a move, d- does a dribble move and finds the back of the net. I don't think we're ever, that is going to be a very rare type of goal for Enzo Capetti because he's not going to have the ball at his feet for three or four seconds at a time. He's going to have the ball at his feet for like one or two seconds at a time. Um, and so, what he's going to be trying to do is when the ball comes into him, he's going to be immediately trying to release that into wingers. He's going to try to be immediately touch it back to Carroll and beeline it uh, past a defender. And And he does really well playing off the shoulder uh, of defenders. He plays that line, uh, uh, you know, the offside line and offside trap. He plays it very, very well. Um, I, I'm very, very excited about what Enzo Capetti is going to be able to do uh, with Carol Swodersky playing underneath him because I really think it's going to be in a
1: 4-2-3-1. So this brings up another topic.
2: And that's Daniel
1: Rios. Because to bring in Enzo, I believe the deal is for supposedly six million. Oh, and I had so, not heard
2: that number. Holy moly.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 what I'm. That's what I'm seeing from multiple sources. Uh, it could be around six million
2: for Rios for, for Enzo for oh, Enzo. Okay. I thought you said but Rios. <laughs>
1: but but no. It's funny that no. It's funny you bring that up though. Um, I believe Chivas went in for I, I. I'm sorry. I don't have it in front of me, and I can't remember the other striker's name. But they Chivas who now wants Standard Rios. They actually went in for another another striker. Couldn't Brandon get us. So now, that's who. Yeah, okay, from yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. Yep. So they've moved on, and I believe they offered around six or seven million for Vasquez. Didn't get him. Now they're in for Rios supposedly, and I'm wondering if it's going to be. I I doubt it's seven million, but I wonder if it's going to be around three, four million for Rios, something like that. Um, and that could, I guess. You know, cut off some of that six million that we're going to be paying for Enzo. I I don't know, but it's it's funny because if you remember a while back, uh, David, we talked about how Shinyashiki signed signed a uh, renewal for his contract, and we we talked about Daniel Rios being the odd man out, and then he went on a pretty good scoring streak. And had a couple of good games, and we thought, okay, like, all right, well, maybe he's, you know, he's solidified in the squad now. But I wonder with these rumors that maybe it was always the plan to move him on. Um Vaughn, again, I'd like to get your get your thoughts on the 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 Rios rumors and his potential move to Chivas.
2: Uh yeah, I'm expecting it to be more like in the million to two million range if I had to guess. Um, and and the reason I'm thinking that is that Rios is in um his final year of his contract, um so so he will be out of contract at the end of 2023, so that would need to be a renegotiation of that deal, um with Chivas. So I'm expecting, uh for for that number to be considerably lower than the seven million that they were trying to get Brandon Vasquez for both also for his age that that's a big difference too um but in terms of rios and why he would be moved right now i think it's pretty clear that if capetti's coming in um the striker depth is is there between uh capetti um if if capetti's not playing you can always move swiderski up there and if you don't have swiderski vinicius mello is going to need to find the field at some point in time um i think and from what i've heard vinicius mello has a pretty high ceiling and they, they want Mm -hmm. to see what he can do in MLS. Um, So I think Rios was going to be fighting uh, for minutes more so than he probably wanted to. And, and you take a look at his age, right? He's 27, 28, and he's coming off a a good season where he's scoring seven goals. Uh, He scored nine goals across all competitions. Uh, I, I think he was hungry for more opportunities and, uh, I, I, I wouldn't blame him either for for trying to find a situation where he may uh, get more minutes. Uh, whether or not that happened at Chivas, I don't know. Um, but he also is a, is Mexican and, and he grew up uh, in the Chivas Academy. Uh, so I think That's he, right. it's a little bit of a return home for him. Um, so I think it, it makes sense in both of those regards. Um, the other thing I want to keep on everybody's radar if Rios is sold is that Nashville has retained from the trade a 10% uh, hold on, on any sell-on. Fee outside of major league soccer mm. so um that's the other reason i think it's going to be in that million to two million range is because you still have to consider some of those dollars that are going to go back to nashville that's right
1: because what did we we gave nashville was it 500 000 in gam i believe that's what it was or yeah yeah three hundred fifty thousand in 2022 that's gam with an additional a hundred and fifty thousand in 2023 if well if certain incentives were are met so
2: and i'm pretty uh, sure he hit those score, scoring seven goals and and the number of games he appeared in i'd be surprised if he didn't hit most of those yeah. metrics so there you go um
1: yeah that's that's interesting to to me like like i said we uh, we kind of went back and forth with rios right we thought he was completely just not getting minutes and not part of the plans. And then all of a sudden he <laughs> threw his hat in the ring and uh, uh, had a good, a uh, few couple of games there. And um, but it looks like he may be moving on and like volunteer to your, to your point. I think we do have some, some depth at that position. Uh, Mello is coming back from injury and we need to see what he can do. Um, so I, I think this would be a good move for everybody involved. I, I like Daniel Rios, but, I, you know, I can't say I'm in love with him, um, but yeah, I guess it would depending. I guess it would depend on what the dollar amount is, but I, I think I'm I'm okay with this with this move.
2: Well, we have several other guys that can play there too. Like Carolyn Vargas yes. was playing mostly as a nine when he was in Portugal. Um, Shin Yashiki can can jump up there and play as the forward. Uh, we we saw Ben Bender uh, for a game <laughs> end up up there. Uh, for at least the first half, so uh, I, I think Rios leaving. Uh, of course, he, he came on so strong late late in the season, um, but I think some of that, how much of that was Rios, and how much of that was our system and, and our style, uh, and and that's also why I'm excited about Enzo Capetti. Is like if Daniel Rios was scoring seven goals and he was getting four goals in the game, I, I can only imagine what Enzo Capetti can do because uh, it, he he's a better player than Rios in my by by a good bit.
1: Um, well, speaking of money, there's another rumor out and about that uh Jordi might be moving on. Um and David and Vaughn, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too. So, you know, Reyna is the type of player that I've gone back and forth with. I think in preseason I I thought I was gonna be really excited about about him. I like that type of player, the type of player that he is. Um he has, he, he showed like all these flashes of like what he can really do, but then also to just seem like he was just not lazy, but just uninterested and not wanting to play defense and would kind of get lost in games. And he was very like Jekyll and Hyde in a way. Uh, but with the money that he is on, I think again, I'm okay with this move, but um, David, what what are your thoughts? Are you would you be okay with moving Rain right on?
0: Yeah, I, I think you hit it there. Um, I think for the money that we paid um, for him, unfortunately, at this point. Um, so for those who aren't aware of, you know, he's his salary at least last season was almost eight hundred thousand dollars, right? And so if you couple that with you know players like Mackenzie Gaines who we just resigned. You've got Camille Jozwiak, who is technically still a DP. Um, Who knows if that changes with the move with Enzo, because I think that's when you can buy him down potentially. I don't know, Von, you could probably dive into that a little bit. But to spend almost $800,000 with him at at winger and to get the inconsistency for starting and performance, like you were just saying, um, I think it would be wise for the team to potentially say, hey, you know what, we're going to move on from this player. I think he's almost 30 years old getting almost a million dollars and not starting consistently for your, for your club. Um, I, I, almost feel like the, the team may have, um, I don't want to say out of desperation signed him for that contract last season. And then we signed him pretty late into the offseason. I think it was actually this time last year. Um, so if you think about it a month and a half before two months before the team kicked off is when we signed him as a free agent. So, um, I, I would be okay with it as long as, um, players step step up like I'm really curious if Mello would be someone that would be able to kind of get some more minutes you've got someone like Kerwin Vargas who's be able to get a bit younger kind of continue to get more minutes and evolve uh, and then you got players like McKenzie Gaines and Camille Joswiak that's able to now get consistent minutes so um, it'll be interesting to see if they if I think if they can move on with them I think you, you've got to be able to do it to free up that money but Vaughn what about you?
2: Yeah. I mean, personally, I think Shin Yashiki is going to be the guy that's probably going to get more time if Reyna's not on the roster. Um, but but Reyna, you know, at $800,000, uh, assuming that he's going to have the same or similar salary figure this next season, um, you have to buy that cap hit down to the max salary budget charge, which is roughly $650,000. It's six fifty one two fifty, but that doesn't so much matter. Um, so the club would have to spend about $150,000 of allocation money to buy down Reyna's contract hit. So just like we're talking about Usviak and how we would have to spend money to buy down that DP hit, technically Reina is in that same bucket. Um, it's just a much smaller sum. Um, and so, you know, if you take Reyna off of this roster and you save that $150,000 in allocation money, it can go towards another trade. Uh, it can go towards what we were talking about in trying to move up in the in the super draft. Uh, $150,000 and trading your number 20 pick will get you up in the draft a, a good bit. Um, and so I, I think the flexibility, if Reyna's not on this roster, is pretty substantial both in that regard as well as the fact that he still is occupying an international spot. Um, right. Somehow he has not gotten his green card. I don't know how that's not possible for how long he's been in the league and and uh, in the US, I know he played for a period of time in Vancouver. Um, yeah, but he, was, he should be able to 20, have that by now.
1: Yeah, since 2017, he's been here.
2: Yeah, so uh, Reyna, uh, you know, if you're having to spend 200 to 250 thousand dollars to buy an extra international spot, and you're having to spend 150 thousand dollars in GAM to buy down his cap hit, and the other problem is. Yeah, he looked good and, and he had three goals and three assists for us, but he only started 10 games. He only played 846 minutes. So we paid approximately $1,000 per minute that he played this past season. That's absurd. Okay, so yeah. for the his salary, for the output and usage, it's just not there. Um, and so I think uh, there, there's reason for us to want to move on from Reyna to open up some significant roster space.
0: Awesome! Thanks, Fun. Thanks, Swift, for kind of sharing that. Be interesting, kind of the next week, what we what we kind of see come to fruition. Do, do we move on from your Rena? Does the Rios rumor come to fruition? And then uh, be, I'm excited to see Enzo come on. Um, I'm still kind of holding my breath a little bit just because of the luck that Charles FC tended to have. Um, with someone like named Darwin at one point in time where that was a verbal <laughs> commitment right so um, we, we will see like when that happens and if we can move forward with that space but Matt I know we've got we haven't done this in a while but we got some you know listeners questions kind of queued up for us so I'll, I'll kick it over to you and you can kind of share some of the listeners thoughts and questions they want us to answer for them.
1: Yeah, we'll do just a couple, um, but we're going to go back to the World Cup with this question. So David Kelly asked, do you think Argentina deserve to win the World Cup after giving up two point leads two different times within the tournament? Um, I'm going to throw this one over to Vaughn for this one.
2: Do they deserve it? Yeah, they they won. <laughs> I mean, uh, do do I think that they uh, scraped by uh, and and that it was closer than uh, it, it could have been? Yeah, but but do I think that that added to the intrigue and the excitement and uh, the legend of Messi? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I, and I would say, like, did France deserve to actually get to the shootout? Probably not because they played horribly. They got, I don't want to say, I mean. They got a PK that allowed them to get back in it, but I don't think they deserve to even (laughs) get to to where they are. So, but that's in the first
2: half, half, France had 0.00 expected goals.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they played, France played absolutely horrible in the first half. But so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think Argentina absolutely deserved to win. They they showed grit. I mean, they, in the group stage, everybody thought they weren't even going to get out of the group, but you know, you got to play every single game and, and move on. And I think they showed a lot of character and uh, a lot of heart and proved some people wrong. And uh, yeah, so I absolutely think they deserve it. Uh, so the next question, um, <clears throat> still kind of in the world cup realm, David, I'll throw this one over to you, but Eric, Hill asks, ask, can you think of another iconic individual performance in a high stakes game that compares to Mbappe's hat trick? plus overtime PK four times hitting the back of the net and the team still losing.
0: (laughs) Man, I don't, that's, that's really a tough question. Cause I was like, man, in my head before you got to that last part of it where it's like, and they still lost. Cause there's (laughs) been some pretty iconic, there's been some pretty iconic sports moments where, you know, players like the first thing that popped in my head, when you were just describing that. Uh, maybe the Jordan flu game right back in you know the 90s and those kind of things like that but um man I, I can't think of another moment where a player and a team has scored that way come back that way gone to PK's extra time <laughs> and still lost the world cup because I mean I mean you could have, you could have written that either way because let's say for example if France wins that game mm-hmm. and comes back then it would be has there ever been a game where you can say a great or the goat like Messi scores a PK and has an assist and ties it and goes to PKs and then still loses. Right. And it's then, yeah. then the, the narrative becomes, you know, does he ever come, does he continue to play four years from now when he's 30, 39 years old and trying to will Argentina again to that. So, you know, I, I don't know if we, we will ever see a performance like that again for quite some time.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible to have a game like that. And, and honestly, I, there was a moment that I was like, "Okay, France is actually going to win this thing." I, I thought they turned the the game on its head, had the momentum, but give credit again to Argentina for just hanging in there. And of course, when you have the greatest player of all time on your squad, um, it doesn't hurt. So, yeah, an incredible final again. Uh, you know, it sucks for Mbappe, but uh, it's it's messy. It's Messi's time. Hey, Mbappe already has a has a trophy, right? So, I think I think he'll be all right. Um, the next question is actually for me, which is, this is pretty hilarious. So Russell Varner asks: is Swift hurt that his doppelganger, Olivier Giroud, (laughs) didn't win the world cup and how was viewing the world cup in Europe compared to here? Um, first part, I do not think I look like Giroud. Uh, I appreciate it though. That is one handsome son of a bitch who who can play and like everybody shits on Giroud right because like he's a good looking guy kind of looks like a lumberjack has great hair uh who was a uh Benzema like called him what like what Benzema said he was a Ferrari and Giroud was like I can't remember anyway uh it's, it's pretty bad when your own teammate is bashing you but the dude scores goals I mean like he broke France France's all time uh scoring record um but yeah, I don't look like Giroud. I wish I did. Uh, but the second half of the question, how is viewing the World Cup in Europe compared to here? Um, so I was in Prague and Vienna. Uh, of course, Czech Republic and Austria were not in the World Cup. Uh, so I would imagine it would have been even more nuts if they were. But everywhere we went, uh, it was on all the TVs. Uh, people were cheering. Um, and it was a really cool, cool thing to kind of, uh, to to witness, like everybody was pumped about it. And like I said, everywhere you went, it was just there. So uh, I tried my best to take a little bit of a break because I literally had watched every single game. Uh, and I think Jillian was going to pull her hair out. But uh, so I, I took a little bit of break while I was over there. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Um, all right. So next question. is from Jake. Uh, and we kind of, we kind of answered this a little bit. So, um, this is about the, the super draft. Do you think we should go best player available or positional target for our first pick in the super draft? Uh, we talked about individual players, but so, so save on, we, we don't trade up. And we're at twentieth. Do you at that point? Do you pick the best available, or do you still try to do positional?
2: Uh, I think you go best available for your system and style. Like I, I, th- I think you go and target you know who you think is going to best fit for their position for your uh, organizational system. Um, that's that's my personal opinion.
1: Okay, so like at twenty, forty, or even the sixty ninth pick, you're not. You're not picking anybody to move them on, trade them, anything like that. You just think you should should go what's best for your system.
2: Yeah, yeah. If you, if you okay. end up seeing a guy fall to 20th, that is a forward that you think could play for the MLS next pro side or be your backup uh, forward for your MLS next pro side and fits that mold that you want, go for it. Like, yeah, he's not going to see the first team, um, but... Maybe if he can be a, a guy that can be a 10 to 15 goal scorer for you for MLS Next Pro and elevate his profile there, you do it. And, and that was the other thing I didn't mention earlier. You know, like there's guys that are even national team level that get picked around the 20th. Like Alex Roldan was pick number 22. Sean uh, uh picked 25. He's a starter for New York Red Bulls. Pick 27, Kamal Miller uh, back in 2019. Uh, and and he's a, a guy that uh, you know was uh, was traded for two hundred twenty five thousand dollars of GAM uh, and and a high draft pick uh, to to Montreal and he's a Canadian national team guy so there there are guys that will fall to the twentieth twenty fifth range that can be uh, value to your team.
1: All right, fair enough, David. This next one is definitely for you. This is pretty hilarious. Uh, so Matt Fox asked if you were in charge of a TFO with nothing, nothing's off the table. What would you come up with, David? I know what mine would be, but I'd love to hear what yours is. Man, if
0: nothing was off the table, nothing's so off the, the table. So this, God, I, I even shared this, and I think a, a few other people had the same idea, um, in our in our Slack channel, for Man City Collective, and the TFO channel. Um, I'm pretty sure. So I, I wanted to have some fun with LAFC because, you know, there, it was a hot topic thing for their, um, you know, for the MLS cup. They made a TIFO and they all of a sudden they had all these flares and um, smokes and all these things that aren't supposed to happen in MLS. Like it's, hmm. it's a big no-no, right? So what I would love to do is make a TIFO that w- looks kind of like a a knockoff or a, um, a ripoff of their TIFO. But instead of having actual smoke and flares happening, you have some kind of like artwork on there where it's like paper mache fire or smoke or painted on fire or smoke and then on the on the bottom of this it says we're doing this so we don't get fined um because you know charlotte (laughs) does not let us have smoke or flares or anything like that neither would mls but somehow la still had it happen so Hmm. that's if i could do it um and then of course if there's a way we could wait are are you
1: trying to say that la gets special treatment from the league
0: I would never say such a thing. Well, actually, Are you know what? I'm, sure? pres- I'm, I'm not a you're president sure? anymore, so I can say those things. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they would get uh, special treatment. I mean, who who cares? I mean, yeah, I that, that's a very sensitive topic for me, but I um I that's what I would do. I mean, if there's a way also to get like Sir Menti to come down and like have him like parachute across a Tifo <laughs> or something like that, like I think that would be
1: great. So, so he could he uh-huh. parachute on the Tifo.
0: Yeah, just, yeah. We could
1: just catch him with the Tifo. Oh, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. That'd be we've, like we've, a big, a big, like a big bullseye on it and have him like yeah. fly down from, from like oh. from a plane and, and like go right through the field goal post that, you know, who, I don't know. Oh
1: my know, God. I think, I things. think we just literally come up with the best <laughs> Tifo ever.
2: So if, if, if we see if you're listening, Sir Minty, Sir Minty needs a zip line <laughs> right into the field. <laughs> There you go.
1: <laughs> that's I think that's brilliant. Like have a Tifo with a target on it, and Sir Minty comes in like, yeah, zip line, you know, whatever. <laughs> Skydive. I don't care how he gets
0: there. Uh, yeah, what you could actually do is have him start on the field and have you know Harry Kane kick the ball over the goal and oh, have Sir Minty hit the hit the target. Sorry, sorry, wow, Matt Chantry. I'm sorry. Wow, I'm too wow. fresh of a wound there. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> that was cold. Um all
1: right, so next next question. Uh, Brad Forbes wants to know any idea when the new second kit will drop. So, um, when, so yeah, David Vaughn, when did, didn't, when did the mint kit come out last year? David, do you know, do you remember?
0: Yeah, it came out in February. It was right before the Charleston, uh, Carolina cup. So that's right. Um, I, I remember it was like a week before and we found out they were going to wear it for like the first game or something. Oh, like that That's right. Um, like, Miami or Columbus or something like that. So uh, from what I hear, um, I mean, you're Mr. Vice President of Mint City Collective now, Matt Swift. So uh, maybe you know more than I do. But from what I understand, it will not be until February. The blue kits are still around. But then the secondary kit um, that's replacing the Mint City kit uh, will be out towards closer to the season.
1: Yep, that's what I'm kind of hearing, too. Um, and I can't wait to see it. Um, I hear it's like got some purple in it. I can't confirm or deny that, but I'm very pumped to see it. The, the mint kits were a huge success, so it's going to be hard to top, but um, might like a little bit of color in there too. So I'm looking forward to it. Um. Okay. Uh, got another question for Russell. So after this, uh, after the competi, the competi move saying that, you know, we actually sign him, what do you think we should, focus on next, position-wise? Vaughn, I'll kick that one over to you.
2: Oh, man. Um, I I mean, you heard what I was talking about, the depth that we need kind of at center back and at uh, left back. I I think that if we had a left back that could get involved in the attack into the offense, right? Like, for example, if you had Kai Wagner, who's getting 15 assists. Now, that's MLS best 11 level. But if, if we found that guy that could Provide, I don't know, six, seven assists over the year, uh, and, and provide that kind of service from a wide position, and and can play Latanzio's style of getting inverted, um, and and kind of balance that threat uh, to to each side of the field, because uh, I think Burns is proving to be a pretty uh, legitimate uh, starter for us on, on the other side. Uh, I, I think that that is where, if we add that guy, uh, we could really elevate to that next level. Um, and I, I feel guilty about it. I still think that our number six, right, like, could if we went and said, "Hey, I, I, I get to choose one more DP for this squad." Uh, where would I want that DP? I would want it at the at the six. I would I would want to upgrade from Bronico Jones um, at the six. Uh, not not any knocks against them, but they're not Zhao Paulo. They're not uh, a distributor of that kind of level. They're they're not. Uh, you know, crazy ball winners like uh, uh Jose Martinez uh from Philadelphia. So I, I think that's a spot that uh you could make an upgrade and and really elevate the level of the team. Um, you know, I I don't think we're gonna do that at this point with Carroll, right? Like, you're, we're not we're no longer talking about a DP number ten because you're just moving Carroll there. Um, w- w- Nuno Santos is gonna be our eight. Uh, you you've got your forward figured out wingers I mean maybe uh we we improve at the wing uh over time um but i, I think that the weapons we've gotten gains and vargas and uh and Yujviak I think they're gonna grow into that Shinyashiki um we, we we're gonna get enough production there i think um so so if I had to target that's where I would go
1: yeah no fair enough i I think I agree with with all that um I think that's all for the questions there were there were a bunch more can't get them all tonight. I think we are running kind of late on this one. There was a lot to, to cover and we're getting back into the swing of things, but uh, David Vaughn, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? Uh,
0: the only thing I would say is um, a quick thank you for all the folks who were involved in the Met City Gala last week. Mm. Uh, I know that took a, A lot of planning, a lot of executing a special shout out to Matt Chantry, because I know he pulled out all his hair trying to get that to go. But it's a great event. Uh, It was really fun. I know it was our first one ever doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully it becomes something we do annually and I look forward to it next year. But Matt Swift, you look dapper as ever during that. You had a nice, nice outfit for it. We had some mint tuxes and suits. It was awesome to see, Um, but it was a lot of fun. So shout out to everyone who came. It was a lot of fun. I got a pretty cool coin out of it as well. So. Thanks everyone for the planning for that.
1: Yeah, the the coin has been a huge, huge success and everybody's been asking for them. But uh, that was for folks that went to the gala. Um, so yeah, if you want one uh, next time, come out and you might be able to get one. But uh, I thought it was a huge success. Uh, it was really cool to celebrate, you know, David, uh, what you and uh, Chantry and the other uh, officers have, have done and laid the groundwork for everybody that was new. And, uh, it was great to see, you know, Becca, who's our new president and some of the new officers, um, stand up in front of everybody and, uh, just, a just a cool night and fun time. Willie P was there, Eric Krakower, Lloyd Sam, Sean was there. Uh, it was a really good turnout and, uh, I'm hoping that we can make this, uh, a thing. Um, Vaughn was not there. Uh, but that's okay um uh, maybe he can make it to the next out. one um <laughs> it,
0: it, it was uh it was the dad weekend so the Royals were able to have him versus the mom weekend
1: that's true that's I true know. yeah we always got we always gotta share share Vaughn which is fine um yeah. but yeah yeah I'm hoping that we can this can be an annual thing it was really really just nice to see everybody and um I gotta say and again apologize for the lack of World Cup episodes but it was it was kind of nice to take a break uh, just from mint city collective duties and just soccer in general and doing the podcast and stuff so i feel recharged and ready to go so these episodes will be coming out um like they they have in the past on, on the regular so appreciate everybody listening but uh anything else david vaughn
2: Six sixty seven days till kickoff I believe so. Uh, this Oof. is an exciting time. It's going to come up real fast. Uh, so yeah, uh, and I told you, most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> and and happy holidays and happy new year to everyone too. All right. Well, on that note, bye everybody.
1: See you guys.
0: All right, so they kind of three. One, yeah. two, three. All right. Got you. <laughs> Hold on.
1: That was amazing. <laughs> that was perfect. Oh my God. That was perfect.